Hey, what's up, everybody? It is episode six. Thank you all so much. Again, I say it every episode, but I really can't believe everyone we do, uh, the support that comes in. We spend a lot of time wondering, are people even going to like the things that we talk about, the things that are important to us? Yet here you still are. We are going. You continue to subscribe, to download. Thank you all so much for that. This is actually a really cool episode. Today is Veterans Day. Unless you are not listening to this on Veterans Day, then it's whatever. But when we're talking, we are bringing this out on Veterans Day. And I've got Robin Parks on the line. Robin, how are things going for you today? Hey, everything's going good. It's uh, cooling down. The leaves are changing. And here it is, sweet November. Absolutely. We are in that prime time. Everything's going on. Normally, we would sit down and say we're only talking about hunting, about what's going on, but we had a great opportunity to get Dave White, the owner of Hotshot Archery, on the phone as well. So, Dave, thank you so much for carving out some time to sit down and talk with us today. I know when we first brought you the idea of even floating a podcast out there, one of the first things that you said is if we're going to do this, I really want to make sure that we're doing a Veterans Day episode. So here we are, and we were definitely on board from the get-go. We're all about it. But Dave, I guess take a moment. This is your first podcast for your company's podcast. Take a moment, maybe introduce yourself, but also why was it such a big deal for you when you found out we wanted to do a podcast that we had a a really Veterans-focused Veterans Day episode? Well, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Uh, Well, I don't know. Uh, I not not sure if everybody knows this or not, but uh, I'm I happen to be a veteran. Uh, eight days after I turned eighteen, I joined the Navy and then went home and told my parents. So that was uh, the the beginning of my adult life was going to uh, boot camp in nineteen eighty two. So boot camp in nineteen eighty two when you joined, you served in the Navy. Is that right? That is correct. What that is was correct. It? What? Then, okay? Go ahead. Sorry. Yep, I was served in the Navy, and actually, I uh, spent uh, five and a half years active duty and another four years as a reservist, and I served on a fast attack submarine. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I mean, I know that right before we were recording, we were chatting. You're like, we don't need anything, but I want to say on Veterans Day, thank you so much for your service. So many of us haven't done that, and at least you were willing to go do it, whatever your situation was, whatever you ran into, whatever you experienced, appreciate your service, just like we appreciate the service of all military veterans, really all first responders in general as well. Uh, What was it about the Navy, David, that kind of led you over everything, all the other branches of the armed service? What led you to the Navy? Well, I've actually come from a a family of, of sailors and Marines. And so uh i've got uh uncles and cousins and great grandparents that were all they needed the marine corps or the, or the navy so that that seemed like a nice transition or, or a nice nice opportunity but the truth is i actually got called by the army recruiter and uh, i showed up for my uh interview with the army recruiter and he didn't make it into the interview because apparently he uh, uh had recruited his first soldier the night before or the day before and went out and celebrated and didn't make it to my appointment. <laughs> and uh, so I'm standing there and uh, the recruiter, the recruiter is at the door going because they, you know, recruiting centers all have all the services together. And the Navy guy goes, well, you're here. Why don't you come in? Let's, let's, let's talk to you a little bit. And uh, uh, 45 minutes later, I had uh, 
uh, a bus pass to Oakland, uh, California, um, uh, center where they, where they do the medical on you. And I think uh, the following week I went and, uh, went down to Oakland by myself on the bus, went through, joined the Navy and then came home and told my parents. So you did everything before you were even traveling around, you were getting everything taken care of long before you even mentioned anything to your parents. What was, um, some of their first thoughts, obviously you come from a military family, but were they shocked? Was this something that was out of the ordinary? They didn't think this was going to be you. What was their reaction when you told your parents? Well, I was supposed to go to college. Uh, uh, my dad was the first person in the, in our family to get a college degree. And so his expectation is that his only son was going to go, go to college. And frankly, I just wasn't ready. Uh, I, you know, I look back and, and I've since gone to college, graduated, but I wasn't, I wasn't mature enough. And I would have, I would have been that classic dropout. And, uh, so I had the opportunity to join the military and that was, that was all right by me. So I came back and told my, told my parents and told my dad and initially it was shock. And then he immediately was very proud and started calling all his friends and telling them that his son had just joined the Navy. So, so it, it, it worked out for the best. That's awesome. When you signed up, did you have any idea? And I don't know how this goes. I've talked to probably one recruiter in my entire life while I was um, on a trip with one of my buddies. Were When you signed up, was there a particular thing that you wanted to do? Um, I don't know if they call it an MOS within the Navy, but a particular occupation or thing, or was it just, you're going to join the Navy and when you get out of your basic training, whatever, we'll figure out where we need you at that point. Uh, for me, they... They uh, uh, put me into. Uh, uh, I ended up becoming a machinist mate. So after boot camp, I became a uh, what they call a machinist mate, which is a kind of an engineering position, uh, a maintenance type of job on a ship. So uh, they they try to move you. you know, they they try to get you. You know, again, this is back in the eighties. Uh, they they try to recruit you into something that you know fits your. Uh, fits your personality and and how how you score on your on your what they call I think it was called the ASVAB score yeah, back they, then. So, uh, but frankly, I, I think they could have told me anything and I would have joined. I was <laughs> I wasn't there to get a skill. I was I was there to get out of town and uh, look like a you know look like a good look like an adventure. You mentioned something, and Robin, I don't mean to just overrun this, but I love finding out new things, interesting things about people. So feel free to jump in. We're all, this is a unique situation being this close to deer season here, or in deer season in the Midwest. Um, I've got Robin and Dave on the phone. We're all three in different locations. So um, if we have any awkward pauses or anything, it's just us trying to figure out who's going to go next and not step on any toes. Um, Robin, feel free to jump in at any point, but where I want to go next is... Well, here, I, let me jump in right here because I've spent a lot of time with Dave, uh, you know, business trips, hunting trips. I've heard a lot of stories, some which is probably we would not repeat here, <laughs> some we would. But Dave, one thing that sticks out in my mind is always that question that your son asked about purple heart so did you know anyone that got a purple heart tell everybody what that question was and what the answer you oh, gave him was yeah sure i you know truth is i i served during the cold war and we did not have the active conflict that we have today um and so 
you know, my military experience was almost all positive. I mean, I, I can't tell you how, you know, that, you know, people say, well, thank you for your service, but you know, that really the honor was mine to be able to serve. So, so, you know, I have good stories and we had, you know, we got to sail around the world and, and, and did some neat things. And my son, one time we were driving down the highway, my son goes, well, dad, did you never know anybody that, you know, got a purple heart on your submarine? And I said, well, son, they, they don't give purple hearts for alcohol poisoning. So, <laughs> so you know, so if there was, you know, if there was any, you know, trouble that we got into, you know, we were all, you know, between, you know, 18 and 25 for the most of us. And, you know, so that, that I don't think that's changed much in the military. They, when you really, when you really think about it, we, you know, the backbone of a, of a America's military is on the shoulders of very young adults and they're given just an immense amount of responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I know that, uh, Dave, you always downplay your service as compared to what our military goes through today in today's times, but. Uh, you know, certainly you shouldn't downplay it. I mean, the fact that you didn't have to enter into combat was just circumstance. You're ready to go. And, uh, you know, I know you're proud of your service, but certainly don't downplay that. And I also, I want to relate to the listeners. Um, you know, again, I know Dave very well and in his, um, support for the military is very, very strong. And, um, that led to Dave, you know, immediately when we talked about the podcast, it was, well, we need to do a veterans day podcast. And, um, you know, we don't push that in our hotshot marketing, probably not enough. I, that it's mil that's a veterans owned and that we support the military, but we certainly do. We have a military discount for active and veterans. Um, and we'll get some more information later at the end of the podcast on that, but, Really, what I'm saying is, uh, you know, a big high five today for his service and also his his uh, ongoing support of others that serve. Oh, I appreciate it. It was I had a lot of fun when I was on active duty. I'll just be honest with you. It was we 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 did some pretty neat stuff. And uh, um, my uh, and my daughter right now graduated from the Air Force Academy and she's doing, you know, she's. She's in the middle of her adventure. So, yeah. So, and I definitely I want to go back to that. So, I want to come back to that, I should say. But there were a couple things. One that you said right before we hit the record button. And um, just another one that is my own personal curiosity. One of the things, and I even typed it out in bold as soon as you said it, you mentioned that the military saved my life. Tell me more. What was going on? Were you a troublemaker when you were a kid? But what's behind that statement, Dave? I would say no. You know, I wasn't. I, I never really got in, into trouble. A typical high school student, but but you know, I I, I wasn't college bound. Uh, I graduated with a three point oh eight GPA in high school, and the reason was my dad told me I couldn't play sports if I had less than a three oh GPA. So, uh, I I was I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't have a lot of direction, and I, and I look back and if had I not joined the Navy or or some other military service, I I probably would have drifted and gotten a job. You maybe done something that, but 
you know, flash forward today, I'm 55 years old. I don't think I would have had the successes both personally and professionally that I've had today. I don't think I, I certainly wouldn't have been in a, in a position to uh, travel the world and, and go on, you know, multiple African safaris, uh, you know, hunt in Australia, hunt in Canada and Alaska and all of the lower 48. Uh, I, I just, w- that just would not have been an opportunity that would have, I would have had, had I not learned the discipline and, 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 and teamwork and the things that the military instills, and it doesn't matter what branch of service you are, they all basically do the same thing. They turn, they turn, uh, you know, uh, boys and girls into men and women. And, uh, I, yeah, and so I'm grateful for that. That's awesome. And there's, I have at least two more military type questions that I want to get to, but I think based on everything that you've just said and talking about how it was your, your own personal growth, the development that that brought to you, what would you tell to a person now, uh, whether they are a young person coming out of high school, I did the thing that you didn't do. I went to college. I ended up dropping out. I wasn't ready for it at that point in time. And I avoided the military because I was that kid that said, I hate dealing with other people who want to try to tell me what to do all the time, whatever punk ass excuses that I would give for not doing any of that. But what would you tell either to a kid who is considering it or maybe to parents whose kids were considering it about what it meant to you. I mean, from somebody who came back, who has had an extremely successful career after the Navy, any words of wisdom, any advice that you would give to somebody who's considering that right now, or worried that maybe their child is considering it and they're hoping to go the other direction? Well, uh, good question. Uh, and I could kind of answer that a few different ways. Uh, you know, my, my first, my first bit of advice would be to, uh, and I think this is still something they say today, is, is embrace the suck. Yeah, I uh, talk about it almost every know. episode so far. <laughs> so it's it's not it's not fun all the time. It really sucks. It really sucks in a lot of levels of being told to do stuff that you know is stupid sometimes. Uh, you know, the hurry up and wait. There's, so, but. At the end of the day, what it teaches you is patience and discipline. And and when you look at it in a bigger picture, and I look, you know, I think back 30 years, that stuff fade, that those memories faded. And what now remains is camaraderie and the, the friendships that I still have with uh, with with my you know with my shipmates. Um I I would say that you know, I can't speak to the, you know. The guys that've been to combat, I can't even speak to. I, no one ever pointed a loaded gun at me, so I, I can't speak to that. But I, but I can speak to the 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 uh, the teamwork that you develop and the the discipline uh, that you learn that uh, that you apply to the rest of your life. So, and that and that's how I, I, uh, I think that's what directly contributed to my to my success. The other thing I would say, though, is the, the military is not a solution for a person who's got issues. So if you've got issues with discipline, if you've got issues with with respecting authority, uh, that's, it's not guaranteed you're going to go to boot camp and come out and make it be okay. So, They're not going to you know, beat it mil- out of you, huh? Yeah. The military is not for everyone. So uh, I would not uh, have a, you know, as a parent, I wouldn't, I wouldn't push a kid off to the military because he's, he's 
in all kinds of trouble and you think the military is going to straighten them out. And that's so many people that I know that have joined the military. I mean, many of them have turned out to be great people afterwards, but I hear so many stories about, well, it was either go into the military or go to jail. So I did this and it got me turned around. Uh, but I think it's great to hear that from you. Robin, I feel like I've been hogging all the time, all the questions about what's on my mind. I'm going to turn it over to you for a second. What do you, anything that you want to hear about? I say I still have one, one military kind of directed question about, um, or really I should say I've still got the two there. Uh, but I don't want to jump in and just ask all the questions. So anything you've got on your mind, anything that he said so far that you want to go back to or ask about? Well, first of all, don't don't get too wrapped up in worrying about my feelings. I'm just oh, we don't sitting back and, and <laughs> of course <laughs> not, right? But yeah, I've spent a lot of time with Dave, and I've got to hear a lot of his stories. And uh, you know, I I I also am around Dave a lot when people who haven't spent time with him get to you know ATA shows and and dinners and hunts where we share camps with other people and. I get what it's like, you know, to ask, start asking questions and, and, you know, ultimately here in a minute, we're going to talk about, you know, so how did Dave go from serving in the Navy to owning an archery company? Right. And that's definitely um, one. I've got one, I think before that, but yep, that is my final military, the one that I have. And I'm happy to sit here and talk all the military we could talk about. I love hearing about it. Uh, but yeah, that is definitely one of the big questions. That was actually one of the listener questions that came through is kind of, um, what got you out of the Navy and then into how did you eventually come to the archery industry? But um, again, I don't mean to cut you off. So before we get to that, go ahead. Okay. No, uh, I, I, and I, I, here's what I was going to say. You know, go ahead, Logan, and ask the couple more questions you got about the military and then we'll we'll move on and talk some outdoors and archery stuff with Dave. Okay. So my, if I have to look at my two questions that I've got here, we've already talked about what the one is. Dave, what is the coolest thing that you have ever experienced? I know you served on a submarine, so whether it's working on a submarine or in a submarine or just in your time in the Navy, what's the coolest thing you had a chance to experience? Oh, okay. Well, uh, 1985, I circumnavigated the globe in a submarine. Uh, we were gone for seven months and that was pretty, looking back, that was pretty cool. Um, the, uh, uh, on the, on the boat, uh, in a submarine, by the way, we call it a boat. And, uh, uh just so you know, you know, for people who are not familiar with, with, uh, the Navy, uh, there's two kinds of ships in the Navy. There's uh, submarines and there's targets. So, uh, <laughs> it's, so we, you know, we, we were out doing our submarine thing and we got to be on patrol and do things that the, in the cold war that was kind of fun. And then, uh, uh, right before I got out, uh, our, our, our boat, particularly we, we, uh, would sometimes have special forces on board and take them places. And, uh, uh, we were doing some training off the coast of Puerto Rico and I was the ship's diver. So while on the boat, I got, um, sent to U.S. Navy dive school. So one of my collateral duties on the ship, besides being uh, 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 what they call the machinist mate, and, and we were known as A-gangers, which we were the auxiliary engineering guys, um, is I, one of my collateral duties, I got sent to Navy dive school. So I was the ship's diver, and I dove I when we were, we'd be on patrol, or when we would get into foreign ports, I would 
I would be like the emergency maintenance guy if there was any diving necessary to do repairs and that type of thing on the on the on the boat. But uh, we had uh, special forces on board, and we were doing some training off the coast of Puerto Rico. And uh, because I was a ship's diver, I was I was uh, with the special forces guys and uh, making and and we were we were doing what they call lockout procedures, where they were we were uh, letting them uh, lock out and go off and play war games from from our boat from periscope depth. And at the end of the the you know we were in ship work for weeks doing all this training, where these these guys would come and go from our boat and uh i had the opportunity to uh uh lock out with them and 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 uh do uh do some lockout procedures and leave the boat while while we were at periscope depth and that was unbelievably cool okay. so that one that's awesome and two i lied about my questions what is periscope depth for somebody who i've been on a submarine that was at a museum but how deep are you talking when you are at periscope depth? Are we 20 feet? Are we like, I don't, I couldn't even tell you what, what a reasonable height of a periscope might be. How deep is that? Well, um, it's, I don't remember the exact, uh, uh, uh actually I don't remember the, uh, the exact depths, but it's not that deep. And, uh, and the periscope comes up and, uh, and I think all of those parameters are probably still classified, but, uh, uh, Probably Basically, smart. it's right out of a movie. The, the periscope comes up out of out of what we call the sail. Uh, you might think of it as a conning tower. But it's called the sail. Periscope comes up out of that, and then the the bulk of the the, the rest of the, the the submarine is is under the water. Okay, so it's not like one of these things where you know you're a hundred feet deep and they're periscoping a, a ship. At least back no, then, when, no. from what you knew, it had to come up relatively shallow to be able to do that. Okay, so exactly. I, that was, again, that's just me going squirrel on <laughs> military stuff that I think is awesome to hear people that have the firsthand experience of. We talked about the other question, too. What, um, before we go into what got you into the archery business, what got you out of the Navy? Was there something that was just, I've served my time that, and that's what I was intending to do? Or was there something that caused you to say, you know, the military career is not necessarily for me and I'm going to go back into civilian service? Or what was that like? Oh, uh, well, I think about 30 minutes into boot camp, I decided I wanted to go to college. <laughs> and, uh, so I, <laughs> so, you know, um, I would, you know, uh, sometimes you'll hear say, uh, saying that, you know, the citizen soldier or the citizen sailor, you know, much of what makes our military, one of the greatest militaries in the world is that we are, you know, we're, a, we're an all volunteer force, but the expectation for a lot of us is that we join the military, we do our tour and we get out and we go home and then we become good citizens in our neighborhoods and we vote and we, you know, we're you know civically involved. And so I was a citizen sailor probably from day one. I, you know, I'm glad I joined, you know, went in and did my thing, but I always knew at some point I wanted to get out and go to college. Okay, so, so like it's similar to going to college, like this isn't going to be my life. I know I want to go do this for now and put in my time with it, but eventually, just like I said, with college, there's something else after it, um, more of an end goal beyond just doing that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, uh, I'd say probably half half of the people I served with got out like I did after their first tour and went home and back to whatever they were doing in their you know, civilian lives, and the other half made it a career. 
And, you know, as a veteran, it doesn't matter either way. We, we, you know, that when I, when I go to a reunion that we, we don't, we, you know, we're just all brothers. So, uh, but so for me, it was, uh, get out of town, try something different. Uh, did my time. And, and I, and I, w- when I was in college, I stayed in the reserves because it gave me an extra 160 bucks a month to help pay tuition. So, uh, but, uh, but that was really my goal you know, going forward was to ultimately go to, go to school. Okay. So you were, you had mentioned that you served um, active duty Navy and then were in the reserves for a while. That was just through your college years? Just through my college years. And then, then I, after I graduated, went off and did the corporate thing for, I think, 12 years or so. And uh, in fact, I, I did a, uh, my undergrad is in economics, and then I actually went back for an MBA after that. And again, if it hadn't been for the military, I, I would have never had the discipline to get get through it. Because the reality was, there were a lot of people that were smarter than me in, in, in class. And so, if I didn't have the study, you know, I had developed, you know, I had to learn good study habits. But then I had to be disciplined to do it, and 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 then see myself through. And I remember my freshman year, I was, I mean. I was, I was having my butt kicked in a math class. I mean, it was it was bad. And I remember, you know, kind of dragging myself home. And my wife is who had met met in the met in the Navy. And I'm just saying, oh, I don't know if I can do this. And it was like, no, you can. You're just gonna have to tough it out. And so, again, I I, I got through school not because I was the, the smartest guy in the room. I got through school because I was just too hard headed to quit. And, and I. I kept projecting myself to the end. So um, that gets us through a lot of situations. Sometimes I think my wife would say there are times when I'm definitely too stubborn to just give up. I probably don't realize yet that I might be overmatched until I figure out a way to, to not be um, when it comes to that. You mentioned your undergrad is in economics. What led you toward just kind of like what led you towards the Navy? Was there anything in particular or was that just what people were doing at the time? What was it about economics that made you want to go that route? Well, uh, economics, I just kind of fell into it when I was in school. Um, I figured I'd get a business degree when I went, when, you know, when I went to college and, uh, ended up getting my degree in ec- economics. And I had it in my head at the time I was going to, you know, go to wall street and be a stockbroker and all that stuff. And, uh, my dad, my senior year, you know, my dad said, said, you know, son, you know, whatever you do, we'll be very proud of you. Um, but I said, I just, he said, I just want to give you a little advice. I said, I said, you know, you can go to Wall Street, you can do all this if you want. But he said, you know, based on your personality and what you like to do, uh, you know, you're you're the you're very outdoorsy. You know, you you plan college classes around duck hunting. You know, in the fall, <laughs> I never I never me. had a that class totally before <laughs> because of duck hunting. And uh, um, so he goes, I think you would be happier in life if you made something for a living. And so when I got out of college, I kind of took that to heart, went to work for a manufacturing company. So so that was kind of the transition there. What kind of stuff were they manufacturing? I'm assuming because I would have always thought from everything you've talked about, being a machinist mate in the Navy, and now you own Hotshot Archery, and you're involved in all these things, and the engineering side of things, the machining side, and, and all of that. I would have thought that was kind of just a straight-through type thing. So that's really cool to know about kind of that transition. Was there did you get right into machining or what kind of manufacturing was it? I was a, a, a material analyst for a company that manufactured airbags and we made airbags and I, 
work my way up through the through the through the ladder. In fact, uh, when I left the company, I was what they call a program manager. I I was a marketing and customer relationship kind of guy uh, for the company and with 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 customers in the airbag industry, you know, automotive. So, uh, and then I had an opportunity to, to, uh, get into, in fact, I was, I was looking for an entrepreneurial change. I wanted a little bit of a career change. I was traveling an awful lot. My kids were real small and I wanted to spend a little less time traveling. And, uh, it looked like I was going to get transferred to, uh, uh, Tijuana, Mexico at the time. And, my wife said, well, you know, what, where were we going to go after this? And I said, well, you know, either Mexico city or maybe, maybe Shenzhen and China. Uh, she, she said, where are, you, are we going to come back? You know, we come back to Utah at some point. And I said, you know, I'd like to, but no, I, you know, not, not sure. And she said, she finally came to me and she said, do this. If it's important for you and your career, but you need to tell me that this is important to you. And, and deep down inside, I was, I was a little bit, a little bit dreading and I wanted, you know, I really wanted to try my hand at, at, at an entrepreneurial effort and I'd been kicking around for years and I just, just turned 40 and here I was going to be trucking the family off to, you know, far off places that don't really fit my personality very well. And so I went in and uh, quit my job and uh, they were like, we don't have to do this. And I said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my hand at something else. And so I spent the next six months looking for something, a business to start or something to do. And there was a business broker I've been working with, and and he, and there was an archery company. And I'm like, oh, don't turn your hobby into a job. Don't turn your <laughs> hobby into a job. And after I, I think I think he talked to me for three or four months, and he finally said, Dave, get on a plane, come down here. It was out of South Louisiana. Come down here and look at this business. And uh, uh, so I did, and I flew down and spent like two three days. I think it was two days or three days with the with the seller and he was he had started the business in 1963 and he was retiring and we really hit it off he was a, a neat guy and and his business was also a diamond in the rough he had he had stopped growing it stopped working it uh years before and so it was really in decline it had a bow fishing uh aspect or division to the company that was just almost non-existent and in fact that's how robin and i got to know each other was uh robin was working with uh with uh my best competitor <laughs> and uh <laughs> and so i kept saying oh what is it going to take to hire this guy and uh um i flew home and i remember crawling in bed about two in the morning and my wife says well uh so what do you think and i said i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna buy this company and all she said was uh please please tell me that you're this is not an excuse to hunt and fish more and that you actually can make you can make a living at it. And I, I said, well, I, I think I can make a living at it. And yeah, I'll probably have to hunt and fish more too. So, uh, so that's, that's how I ended up uh, buying Cajun archery. And you said that was about 15 years or so ago that you got into that. That was in 2004. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, then, uh, we grew, the, the the arrow business has been kind of stable. It was you know, focused on youth archery. Almost every product we had was a were, were children's arrows, mainly to schools and camps. But this bow fishing group, the Cajun bow fishing side of things, was just uh, almost non-existent. But I said, man, this this has got this is cool. And uh, uh, we grew uh, the bow fishing 
I think we grew at an average of 21% a year for seven years straight. Oh, wow. And then uh, uh, we sold it to Bear Archery in 2012, and they've just taken it and done some really amazing things with it ever since mm-hmm. I sold it. You must so, have had someone on your uh, staff that knew what they were doing with bow fishing. Yeah, yeah, we had a couple people. Some guy involved with AIMLO uh, uh, came over and, and uh, uh, basically... Um, helped us brand and develop products. So, wow! I wish we still had that guy around. I bet he was probably yeah. pretty good. <laughs> the, he, so, yeah. So this was all old days. This Back was in the good old days when, yeah. when I was actually maybe considered an expert at something. So that yeah, definitely I, covers I, one uh, of the questions too. Is how did you and Robin get hooked up? And it was through the bow fishing side of Cajun archery at the time that caused you two to kind of cross paths. Yeah, you know, basically, I remember calling uh, Robin one time because he was he was working for Muzzy, and uh, I remember I'm, I can't remember if I ran into you at the trade show or something, but I think I said something to the effect of, uh, you know, Robin was the Jim Shockey of bow fishing, and uh, I uh, that's pretty high like, praise, and uh, I was like, I need this guy because hey, I like to bow fish, but not like you know. Like Robin did. I mean, Robin. Robin just had this technical background. I knew I could design and build anything he told me we needed to do, but I needed somebody to help me uh, determine the difference between a really good idea and a gimmick. And you know, because one of my pet peeves is, uh, in fact, you know, we, and Robin, we joke about this. You know, the, you know, every year, you know, who's going to come out with new and improved colors? I mean, you know, we we want to come right. out with products that were. They're actually going to make a difference and do something that we're that you know people part with their hard-earned money to, to to go bow fishing or archery or hunting or any of these outdoor activities you know and i tell my employees we're not curing cancer here we need to make sure that when we sell them something they're glad they gave us their money because uh it, they don't have to buy the stuff that we make and uh so that's where i you know robin and i you know i convinced robin to, to come to come work for occasion it was because we needed we needed to figure out how to make products that the bow fishing industry did not have or needed a drastic improvement on awesome yeah i really what the way that came about was uh the former owner of cajun at the time dave was looking at buying the company emailed me and said i'm about ready to sell cajun the guy that's going to buy it's a really good guy you should get involved with him and um i i was pretty heavily involved with muzzy products at the time and was happy with them it's so a year or two went by and dave's purchase became final and at the time we had started a bowfish and television show it was on the sportsman's channel and you know dave contacted me and said we'd really like to have you involved and you know i said well muzzy's a sponsor right now and i'm pretty happy with them and about uh, six months later they've called again and said you know i don't just want to sponsor you i want you to be part of this company i want you to help me make it company grow and muzzy was going through a lot of changes too look just like the current archery industry um is now and um so the decision was made a little easier because because they were changing. It wasn't anything against them, and um, you know, and so it began. I I took 
that opportunity to actually get involved and be important and make an impact with Cajun archery and uh you know the rest is history leading up and into hot shot archery now yeah so i mean if there's nothing else and i'm sure there's more that we could talk about with that the first company and how it's going they're still around we're not here to you know we're not the cajun podcast or anything like that what was it so in 2012 when you sold that did you go right into hot shot archery because i had to have come on right around that same time that things were happening with hot shot i think it was 2011 2012 i'm assuming obviously it had to be at least 2012 at this point but was it um a sell of that and then how did you get into hot shot archery dave well, we, um, I actually bought Hotshot. Hotshot's been around since the 70s. Um, in fact, it's one of the original uh, release manufacturers. Um, one of the, I think it's one of the first three companies that ever were, were developed that were making mechanical release aids for archery. Um, and I don't know the exact date, but I think it was 74 is what we think was the original, uh, when Hotshot originally came out. Um, it was 2007, and I was at a trade show. and um, um, Hotshot was actually had traded hands several times, and uh, several uh, several different companies that owned it, and and it really wasn't a, a focus of any of the companies. And uh, a friend of mine owned happened to own um, Hotshot, and he he approached me at the trade show and said, "Hey, Dave, I I hear you're kind of looking for something else to do." And this was again, this was back in two thousand, I uh, think two thousand seven. Okay, and uh, he said. I've got Hotshot. I own it mainly because I thought it would be something we could diversify into uh, for one of my kids. They're not interested. They're going to do something completely different. And I'm just looking to get rid of it. I, I, it's not my area of expertise. I'm not a manufacturer. I'm a distributor. And I'd like to, I'm going to, you know, shut her down. And it was basically inactive. So we bought a brand name and very little else. Um, and, um, and, uh, bought it for literally nothing and uh i rented a u-haul and back the back the truck up to their to their bay loaded a whole bunch of stuff in there and, and we drove it back to our shop and said okay let's take a look at this and see what we bought and uh and and that was in 2007 so from between 2007 and 2010 we dab we dabbled at best we we played a little bit we came out with a product or two and had some bits and starts because i was still focusing on cajun you know, Cajun was, 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 uh, my bread and butter. It was, it was, uh, paying the bills. It was keeping my people employed. And, and, and so hot shot was more of a hobby. It wasn't, it wasn't our core business. And then at the end of 2012, when we sold Cajun, I was like, okay, I just, I just, I just sold 70 some percent of my total income stream just went out wow. the door. I got to figure out what to do, or I'm going to go get a day job. And, uh, uh, we started taking hotshot very serious in 2012. Um, then in about 2013, we 13 or 14, I bought in 13, I think, uh, I ended up buying CNC machines and we started getting into, you know, seeing, you know, in-house CNC machining capabilities because what we learned the hard way is that you can't buy the components. Um, the R and D, um, development process was taking too long. We, we were having a hard time with our quality control. Uh, we just needed to bring it in house. And so now we own four CNC machines. Um, I still have uh, much of the same employees that I still had. I mean, we didn't 
no one got laid off, but very few people quit. We we're the same crew. We just we're now add some machinists and we're we're uh, making making parts and it's it's now our livelihood. That's all, and I yeah. think a lot of people. Oh, go ahead, Robin. I was just gonna throw a little perspective on what that timeline that Dave just went through, talking about selling cage and and taking hot shot from a hobby to you know an all out business. From my perspective, this this is really what it was. It was Dave coming to me and saying, "Hey, uh, you're doing a little too much bullfish." Uh oh, I think we and, might. Nope. There you and, are. And, you know, so, uh, so the, here's the reality. That was like, if somebody that follows me knows I kill a few turkeys every year with a bow, right? Yeah, one or two. That was, that was like the kickoff of that career was Dave saying, I need you to hunt more and me. And are you with me? And I said, no, I, I'm with you. I'm good. Like, I got it. You know, I'm going to start hunting year round. And, and, uh, Right away, it was spring turkey hunting with a bow is something I just decided, okay, I'm going to learn how to do this. My springs had been spent for the last 15 or 20 years bow fishing every spring. And so I it swapped to turkey hunting. And, um, you know, Dave, in our work together with Cajun was incredible. And I still love to bow fish. But it was just one of those things, kind of when Cajun passed along. You know, it was like for me, a turning over to this new outdoors career, you know, switch from bow fishing is the focus to hunting is the focus. And, um, you know, I, again, and so it, it was a new beginning. So it began and so that all happened in... turkeys later. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I love it. You know, like uh, I get that's just been be since 2012 shot is is just fantastic. And you said that's so, you've only picked up the turkey hunting since 2012. Well, I I have turkey hunted pretty much all my life and always loved it, but it was always with a shotgun, and it was just always when I could squeeze in a weekend here and there, and it wasn't too hard of a deal to go out and shoot a couple turkeys in Missouri, you know, with a shotgun. So, um, when Dave asked me to to refocus on hunting a little, um. That's when I decided, okay, I'm going to learn how to do this with a bow. And so, yeah, I've, I've, what you're really asking is if I really killed that many birds in that amount of time with a bow. And the answer is yes, I have. And just a short period of time to figure that out. Those turkeys are tough. And to be able to figure it out with a bow that quickly and as successfully as you are, if people don't know, or I mean, you're a turkey fanatic and you're crazy good at it. So that's just really impressive. I mean, I've been going my whole life and haven't killed as many turkeys as you've killed in the last seven years. Let's just say that many animals have been harmed testing our products. Yeah. (laughs) uh, We, yeah, Robin, it's not a, you know, it's not an exaggeration when we say you hunt year round. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we've so, talked about the the hottest balls hunts for hogs and going out when it's crazy windy, cold. I mean, I've seen turkey hunting pictures where you've got snow on the ground and you're out there. So, that's really cool. Again, I didn't realize that it had been that short term for um, the turkey hunting side. I thought turkey hunting with a bow was just kind of always your thing. I think since I've known you, it's been kind of a big deal there. So, that is pretty cool to find out as well. Uh, 
looking at, I'm just kind of running down through some of the questions here. You mentioned something earlier, Dave, that really struck me when I started getting into the archery industry. When you said we picked up some CNC machines and started doing things in-house, I think a lot of people would be surprised at how much manufacturing in the archery industry and probably in many other industries that you're involved in, uh, but doesn't actually happen at the company. So what is the value? I know you mentioned something about the R&D, but what's the value of being able to do all of this work in-house when there's so many other even massive main uh, name brand type huge label companies that are outsourcing so much of their machine work you know you 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 know we're a very 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 small niche producer so you know give you an idea some of the bigger players in our segment of uh, releases probably make more releases in a week or two weeks than we make in a year so we're you know we're very much a niche player but in that i you know obviously i'd like to be bigger but at the same time it gives us real flexibility. So if we somebody calls us and says we have a you know quality concern or there's an issue, we can go right out to the machine shop and say, you know, check our inventory and say what what is it that they're seeing and are we seeing it here? And we can make a change on the fly based on customer feedback. Uh, and we've done that. We've done that more than once. Um, the other thing we can do is we can develop rather quickly. Uh, in fact, I have a three D printer, and so we can three D print parts. We can design a part, 3D print it, tweak it, make multiple iterations of 3D printing, come up to uh, uh, you know get come up to something we think is is going to be a, a good a good good release or a good part that we're to design. Then we go out and we machine it, and then we come up with you know five or six iterations there before we just dial it into what we really think is a good product. When you buy, when you buy, when you design and then have to outsource. What I just described could be a two or three week process if you're really in a hurry, more typical three months. You if you're outsourcing everything, you know, that's a year to do just what I described. So it gives us a, that opportunity, that flexibility. And the other thing is it just it just gives us better control of our inventory, um, and better quality. You know, if we have a quality problem, we know right where to go, not uh not uh you know, we don't have to call somebody in China and say, hey, uh, next time you ship us this, you know, will you fix this? I mean, we know right where to go. Um, it's in our building. It's our responsibility. And we can fix it. Yeah, I think that's really important to knowing where the issue lies because everybody has issues. I mean, we certainly have had releases that come back. Sometimes they get through. Everything is really hands on with Hotshot. Um, but being able to identify quickly, here's what caused it and here's what we can fix and doing that right away instead of having massive batches or having to do recalls of releases when we do recognize that issue it's really quick and easy to be able to jump on top of it and um, get it corrected and really make things right based on the feedback so all of you who are wondering if we email in if we send feedback um, we are getting it they do consider it we review everything so keep giving us the feedback there as well because we can make those changes and We've had several releases even recently where um, we've been messing around and then um, kind of played with them a little bit, realized there were some tweaks that needed to be made, and we didn't have to go back and continue sending new designs, waiting for them to be able to open up a slot in their production schedule and get them on board. So uh, definitely one of the benefits of having the smaller company where we can do everything like that. Absolutely. In fact, we got, we got a product coming out uh, right now, as a matter of fact. and. Uh, 
the reason it's coming out, uh, in fact, we designed the product, I don't know, six months or a year ago, and we've been playing with it, things and I and you know, Rob and I have been debating on whether we launch this product or not. And then weeks ago, Robin said, Hey, this thing has to come out. You know, actually about about a month ago. So yeah. it's gotta come out. It is now done. We were able to set up, take it from prototype to production phase because we've done everything but production, set it up, run it, and we're literally gonna launch it within two months of the time when Robin said, This has to come out. So so we got a really cool product that's uh, that's just now in the launch phase. Um, and uh, what can um, you tell us today about it? It's Veterans Day. Any any secrets? Any little insights that you can give the people who are listening to the podcast about this product? I know we've posted something on social media, a little teaser picture, but anything that you would be willing to share today about this? It it's now my personal go to release. I can shoot anything I want. And now that is my new hunting release. So I, Robin's not sold on it yet, but man, I'll tell you what, for me personally, I don't hunt out of a tree stand. I'm a spot and stock guy. And so I just love, it's a, it's a, it's a speed hook thumb release that, uh, is, it's a tart, it's basically a target release with a speed hook. And, uh, uh, I'm biased obviously, but it's now my, favorite go-to release i think robin's got a little bit of a soft spot in his heart for uh the x spot but yeah robin you've had a chance to take a look at it what are your thoughts i'm i'm interested i haven't had my hands on it or had to gotten an opportunity to see a whole lot about it either the the only reason what dave says is i'm not sold on it is because that can't be hanging on my loop waiting for a deer to walk by and that's it uh so you asked what can we share Dave kind of let the cat out of bag. It's an open hook. Um, it's going to shoot phenomenally. Um, it's So let's say a few words. Open hook, sear, purple, Carry on. and awesome handle. Yeah, like so there you go. Thing. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to see this. The spot shooters uh, in Vegas are going to be shooting this release. But awesome. it's, it's going it's to be my hunting release. Well, you might see a spot shooter in St. Louis shooting that release. I don't know about Vegas yet, but uh, <laughs> I love purple, the open hook. I'm a big fan of the sear releases. I mean, I have played with a lot of different releases from a lot of different companies before even joining in with Hotshot. And I mean, I think the focus on quality, you can certainly tell that you've got an eye for the detail. I've taken apart pretty much all of my releases to see how they work and put them back together as I try to walk around and trip over everything. Um, You're not supposed to do that, by the way. The springs have a tendency to fly every which direction. You know. Yeah, um, I luckily haven't had that happen to me yet. I felt like I, I knew a guy who could get me hooked up with some springs if I missed them. I wouldn't encourage everybody to go take your releases apart. If you're having any issues or you're interested in getting it cleaned or whatever, you can definitely send it back to the shop. We'll take care of everything there. Um, I'm just kind of an idiot. I don't do things the smartest all the time, so I figured why not take this thing apart and see what's really going on inside, but the internals are amazing. So I'm intrigued by this new speed hook, and again, anything that's purple, I'm pretty much down to try that out as well. So cool thing about that, when do you think that's going to be available, and where will people be able to find it when it's available? Uh, Within a week. All right, so coming so up it's, right it's, within Thanksgiving, before uh, Thanksgiving then? Uh, I'm thinking probably within days. Awesome. 
So days it'll be away. available on the Hotshot web store yeah. first. Yeah, you'll see it on the. Uh, we got to do press releases and some things like that. But so yeah, it'll be it'll be available on our on our website uh, 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 right now. Actually, awesome. Well, everybody, keep an eye out for that. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram. We're going to be posting there. I'm sure as soon as that is available, we'll be getting all sorts of feedback coming in from that. So. That is awesome. As we are kind of talking about where Hotshot is right now, one of the things that I thought was interesting, and you mentioned something about it earlier, was um, when your wife asks, is buying this just an excuse for you to be able to hunt more? So how long have you been into archery or even just hunting in general? Oh, I, I, you know, I've been in hunting all my life. You know, I grew up in a hunting and fishing family. So, so you know, I, it, it, and it's, it's for me. It's not a hobby. It's a, it's a way of life. It's 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 a part of my history and my and my culture. Uh, so you know, so so my biggest fear when I when I bought Cajun archery was you know the, you hear the adage, don't turn your hobby into a job. That was my biggest concern, and a lot of people do and they fail. So, uh, uh, but but no, I'm I'm a I'm a sportsman first. I've been archery hunting probably you know. I think I started getting into archery hunting, oh, in the late '90s, um, and got uh, got real serious. Obviously, when I bought bought Cajun archery, I got real serious really quick. Um, but uh, I'd never really, you know, I've been hunting all my life. But once I had once I owned Cajun, I was like, oh man, okay, this is my opportunity to really start bow hunting a lot. And uh, um, and at the same time, I was starting to get the, the travel bug and was, was starting to travel hunt at the same time. So, so it was, it was perfect timing. Cool. And you've mentioned the travel thing and I want to talk about this. I know we've got so much that we could go after, um, but one of the questions that came in is what was your most memorable hunt? And it may not even be this one, but you were telling us a story about, um, a, was it a DIY? You went to Australia. Let's just start with you were in Australia. Tell us about that story. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, this was kind of early on in my career. I think it was in 2005 or six. I was, uh, I, I hooked up with a, an outfitter in Australia in the Northern and the top, what they call the top end. The top end of Australia is the size of the Western United States, the 13 Western States. And, but has about 250,000 people in it. So it's really this remote, remote land of Australia. And they're, Asiatic water buffalo hunting there is probably you know, is, is world class. It's, if you want to hunt Asiatic water buffalo, that's where you go. And so I hooked up with this outfitter and said, "Look, you know, I can't, I can't really. I, I'm always looking for." And I, I'm digressing here a little bit, but you know, people ask me, "How do you, how do you, how you be able to travel and hunt so much?" And a uh, couple, couple reasons. Um, I drove the same pickup truck for 18 years, and every time I thought about trading it in, I thought, "Well, I can use that car car payment." and use it for hunting or i could get a new truck i'm like oh, i think i can get another year on my truck um and then and then the other thing was uh i look for deals and bargains and and see if i can get into areas that you know like last minute bookings that type of thing this was a relatively last minute booking and the guy said look if you uh said i won't have any help um with me this time i am if you come and hunt with me and then help me pack up i'll i'll give you the hunt for half price and i said yeah i can cook and clean and and uh pack up here for you know just half price on a hunt so so um i got an airplane and flew to australia with my bow and and uh the hunt 
Butter Buffalo. Where did, I'm, I'm going to cut you off for just you know, a second. Where does somebody even go to find out where? Like, I wouldn't even. I'm pretty good at googling things. I will Google some pretty messed up stuff to look for whatever I'm trying to find. But where? How does one even find these outfitters in these places that are looking for someone to help them pack up and finding these great deals? Well, you know, I stumbled into it. I mean, I just kind of was chatting with a guy and said, you know, and said, do you have any like end of season or anything like that? And he said, he said, you know, just uh, 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 and there was a, a hunting outfit that said, you know, oh, and by the way, a hunting outfit wanted to see if they would be a company that would, that they could sponsor, you know, like a, like a broker. And they said, if you go, uh, would you write an article about it? And so I, you know, as a, as a review and I said, sure. So, so I contacted this guy and said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, you know, you know, these guys want me to give you a review. And at the same time, you have anything at the end of the season when you don't have any clients left he goes yep i have i don't have an opening i'm just going to go in and clean up the camp i'll guide you for that week and then you help me come out so so i stumbled into the guy to make a long story short and uh ended up chatting with him and and uh found it out and said, said hey what can you do for me and uh and then i had a, a friend who was a who was he was an aussie he lived in uh he was an australian and uh he's a bow hunter and i called him and said hey you're you know, you like to hunt there. You want to go, you know, Buffalo. And he said, absolutely. I'll, I'll meet you up there. And, uh, so he and I met up in Darwin and met with this outfitter and we spent 11 hours, uh, driving into the, what they call the Armin land. And the Armin land is this kind of basically an Aboriginal uh, reservation where if you're of European descent, you're not allowed to be there without a permit. Very, oh, wow. very, I mean, it's the middle of nowhere. Um, I think we had like a half a million acre concession that we were hunting on. Wow. And, and uh, it, like I said, we drove for 11 hours and when I'm, when I, you know, dirt roads and four wheel drive trails and stuff in this guy's Land Rover and get into this camp that he had, that he'd been there all season. And it was hot. I mean, we were, we were not at peak season. It was, you know, it was 120 at night or during the oh. day, like 90 to hundred at night. It was hot, sticky and snakes everywhere. And, and uh um uh you know typical australian uh with you know that top end kind of marshy you know the joke is it only rains once a year but when it rains it rains for six months <laughs> and uh and it had just started to get rainy so it was muddy but but he said yeah in you know a month you wouldn't even you know you need a boat to get to this area that we're camped so and we we were hunting and uh so we're in the middle of nowhere and, uh, uh, I think on the second or third night, uh, uh, the house there was like, he, I mean, he was in his tent and he was just groaning and like, John, Dave, oh, I mean, he was sick. I mean, really, really sick. So I'd say oh, two or three o'clock in the morning, we got him out of his tent and, you know, tried to cool him down and had him on a little cot right outside his tent. And I mean, he was barfing and pissing all over himself. He was mm. just, I mean, ill, scary ill. And I thought he had appendicitis. I mean, I, I'm not a doctor, and I, but, I, but I know when somebody's sick. And, <laughs> right. And about 8 o'clock that morning or 7 o'clock that morning, as soon as the sun came up, he had a sat phone. And again, this is back when they weren't that great. We found this clearing where it would work, and we called the number. He had some numbers written on the back of the phone. We called that number and declared a medical emergency. And the, the operator on the phone said it was out of Darwin. said, well, uh, there is a... A doctor and a, and a Cessna 206 that's actually flying around the, 
the armament land right now landing in these areas to, to give you know checkups and vaccinations and stuff to the aboriginal people and there's this village called bowman that's about probably two hours from what your gps location is and if, uh, we're going to call him on his sat phone and tell him to stay there and that you're coming in so we put him in the in the back of his land rover and uh and uh driving across country you know across you know just this, these two tracks and little trails every time we'd come to a river or water hole, i'd have to get out and wait the river because we were so afraid that in that, that if we you know if a tire fell into a pothole or something we'd get stuck and this guy die on us and uh about two hours later we roll into this this village that had maybe eight structures total and you know the largest one was their clinic and it was maybe a you know 20 by 20 foot structure and uh we dragged this guy in there and meanwhile everywhere we you know about you know every half hour or something we'd have to stop so he could get out and dry heave oh sure and uh and uh we we literally carry this guy into this little clinic and uh that there was a nurse and then this doctor had flown in and she looked at us and said well, he's not going anywhere with you, mate. <laughs> he's, he's staying with us. And they plugged him into morphine, put him on the airplane, and flew him out of there. And and uh, uh, while he's you know morphined up, we're we're getting instructions from him on how to break his camp down <laughs> and and get everything out. And so we drove back to camp and um, spent the rest of the week and shot a couple of buffaloes with our bows self-guided the whole thing and packed his camp up and and uh go back to darwin and by that point he'd gotten out of the hospital and uh he had kidney stones of all things so wow um so note to self don't get kidney stones i uh <laughs> so how did i mean so I, did he a, leave you enough instructions you knew where to take all the camp stuff to once you got this you know two-day drive basically back to darwin or wherever you were heading with his equipment we yeah i mean we followed the two track back out where the camp was and uh uh so that wasn't that tough to just to backtrack our way back out and uh uh and he had like he had a camp that was all put into you know kind of all consolidated into this little four-wheel drive type trailer it was pretty pretty neat little setup he had and uh we uh we we uh yeah, you know, again, we drove all, all all in one day. You know that night, that last night, uh, my buddy shot his buffalo. That the, literally the night before that we, we were to leave, and then that next morning we did all our packing up, and then we drove straight out. And uh, the uh, I'd say the only thing I ever say about you know hunting in Australia is we had uh, we had a gas generator that that he there, and we had um, three coolers. One cooler had was frozen. It had ice cream and you know frozen goods in it. We had one that was a cooler that had like milk and perishables and things. And we had another cooler that was a uh, wine and beer. And the, um, the, uh, the portable, uh, you know, electric generator quit running. We couldn't get it. And we just, we worked on it for two hours one night. We finally, could, we just gave up. And so we had a choice. We had, we had enough power, uh, to run one of the three coolers, uh, uh, of the, uh, in the car and the, in the Land Rover. And so being, you know, being in Australia, uh, we ate all the perishables that night and put the beer and wine cooler in the, uh, in the land over. <laughs> oh, so, I figured you were going to go so, with, you can't get alcohol poisoning. You don't get a purple heart for alcohol poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
<laughs> and so the, yeah, so my so my my Aussie buddy said, no, this this there's no debate here. We're gonna I don't drink warm beer, and so we <laughs> had to put the. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, but uh, no, that was a bit of that was quite the trip, and uh, uh, we. Uh, in, in, and I'll tell you, if you ever want to hunt Asiatic water buffalo, uh, the top in Australia is a place to go. It, it was, it, it, it was a magical place. It was just, it was just a neat, neat area to go and see. And we saw crocodiles, and we saw, I, I bet we saw, you know, five hundred buffalo a day. I mean, they're buffalo everywhere. Wow. The, the question wasn't seeing buffalo. The question was getting within bow range, shooting a buffalo. Um, that that was the challenge was you know multiple spot and socks trying to get within range of them, and they're and they're they're a third larger than Cape buffalo, so they're they're a big animal and they're you know they're armor plated. I mean you, um, I think I I think my arrow on that particular hunt was over a thousand grains. Oh damn! So, so I'm gonna show some ignorance here with this, and I'm totally okay with that because there's so much stuff that I don't know. Are Asiatic water buffalo are they as um, aggressive as the stories that you hear about Cape Buffalo or how would they relate in terms of, um, just aggression and demeanor? Um, they're not nearly as dangerous as Cape Buffalo. Um, and I've, I've hunted Cape Buffalo as well, but, uh, no, they, when you see a, a water Buffalo, you know, you, you, they, when they look at you, they're not looking into your soul and deciding whether they're going to stomp you to death like a Cape Buffalo will. But, um, but they are an animal to be respected and they're classified as dangerous game. So, um, Cape Buffalo will, or excuse me, water Buffalo, if given an opportunity to escape, will, will escape. But when you get into that, that range, you know, bow range, you know, I, I shot mine at 12 yards, crawled within 12 yards, shot him. That, that is within his comfort zone. And the real strategy is, you know, you shoot him and it's like a bee sting. And you don't want him to know you're there because then he'll just walk off. If you, if he sees you there and he decides you're, you're too close for him to flee, that, that makes him potentially dangerous. But a, but a blow will, will run from you if given the opportunity. In fact, it made a challenge. If, you know, you had to be really careful with the wind because they, you know, if they wind you, they're gone. Are they pretty quick? I mean, I know they're massive animals. Do they, will they take off and run a long way if you spook them? Yeah. I mean, they'll run far enough to where you're not going to get, you know, catch up to them for a while. I mean, and you, you, you know, they're just like, you know, they're just like elk or you know, mule deer. If you, if you spook one and then, you know, you, you catch back up to that herd that, you know, two ridges over and you spook them again, they're, you know, they're not going to stop running for a day. They're, they're out of there. Um, so they're, you know, they're an intelligent animal and, uh, uh, but there were so many of them. We just go find a different herd when we would do it. Well, that is definitely a a memorable hunt. I don't think that's one you'll ever forget about. There will probably be times where your kids or your grandkids are telling stories about the time Grandpa went over to Australia and had to self-guide himself on a water buffalo hunt. I know we're pushing um, some time here if you're good. I've got a couple more questions that I think I want to go through. Obviously, we want to have you on uh, the podcast as much as we possibly can. I could sit here all night, um, except for the fact that I have already finished my beer and um, would love to go grab another one here before too long. But I have at least two more questions here. Um, one kind of being the outside world. So what would people outside of hotshot be surprised to know about you 
that we haven't already talked about with um, being a Navy veteran and having served on the submarine, what would be something that would shock those of us who only know you through hotshot archery? Mm. Only knows me through hotshot. Uh, well, I, you know, I think it's obvious. I love the outdoors. Um, I've been sailing since I was 12 and I own a sailboat. My kids grew up living on a sailboat in the summertime. Um, and, uh, I'm big into physical fitness and I climbed Kilimanjaro this year. Yeah. Tell just so not to so, sidetrack and get too far off. Tell us a little bit more about that. What was that? Like, I know you've been preparing for quite a while to do it. So tell me about climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, well, actually it was to celebrate my daughter's graduation from the air force Academy. So that's what we did together. Uh, uh, when she uh, when she graduated so it was a it was a father-daughter trip and uh, uh kilimanjaro is is the tallest mountain in africa it's actually in tanzania and uh it's nineteen thousand three hundred and forty three feet and uh we we took the long route and climbed it in eight days oh my and spent uh spent probably six of those days above timberline uh, preparing and hiking and trekking. And, uh, it was, uh, you know, you start out in a jungle, you basically walk through five ecosystems. You start out in a jungle and you end up on a glacier. So, so you can only take 30 pounds with you of all your personal gears, total 30 pounds. So you've got, you know, shorts and t-shirts at the bottom and you've got, you know, my 800, 800 filled down jacket, Two layers of long underwear on the top. See, Logan, time you share a hunting camp with Dave, you're because you say, "Man, I got to get to bed." And then another story comes out, so it's another beer, and it just goes all the, the beer, the sake, the wine, whatever you might have on hand at the time. It's my. Uh, uh, you know, I decided I wasn't going to wait till retirement before I started living. So, uh, I really firmly believe that you cannot wait till you retire before you start. You know, the, the, my, my motto is someday and never are the same thing. And when people say someday I'm going to travel or someday I'm going to do this, what, what I hear is, you know, never. And I just decided one day, I said, you know, I don't want to wait till I retire and find out that, you know, I get sick and die before I get a chance to do these things. So I just said, you know, I'm going to do this now while I'm healthy enough to do it. And, uh, uh, you know, and I, I try to stay fit. I work out, you know, I, I work out an average of four days a week so I can, so I can stay fit enough to go on these, you know, hunting trips and these, these treks and do these things because, uh, you know, the, the alternative is to grow old and die, I guess. No, he's serious too because well, it's 18 months ago, two ATA shows ago. I get to the hotel, I show up, and I say, I'm here. He says, I'm in the gym, I'm eating in the lobby. I think we might be losing you, Robin. I 
I don't know if it's on just on my end or if there's something going on with your headset. This is one of the technical um, blessings of being able to be so far away. But Robin, you are really starting to break up and cut out on us. Um, I heard probably like two things that you were just trying to say there. How If I want to, yeah. hear that yeah. I will. No, uh, so I don't know. Again, I think Robin might be having some issues with his phone. Unfortunately, like I said that's just part of the technical um, wonderment of trying to do these podcasts from afar. Dave, um, I promise just two more questions on my end. What is your favorite non-archery thing to do? You mentioned you enjoy working out, but what else outside of that? Uh, I would say skiing and sailing. Uh, I, I still have season passes to our local ski resort and I try to get 15 days of skiing in every year. And in the summertime, uh, yeah, if I'm not sailing on the weekend, I'm not a happy guy. So, and then, uh, uh, then obviously, uh, uh, and I both fished off the boat before too. Oh, that's always nice. How big of a sailboat do you have? I know zero about sailing other than um, uh, what about Bob where he's tied up on the mast and yelling, I'm sailing, and, and maybe <laughs> the, the scene from Tommy Boy. A, uh, our family has a 27-foot Catalina sailboat, and it's, it's, a, it's a 35-year-old sailboat. I like, I like the older classic boats, and so it's got lots of teak and lots of maintenance. So it's an older older boat, but I've had it for years and years and years. So. I think regardless of the age of the boat, I think there's always going to be a lot of maintenance. They always joke that uh, boat stands for break out another thousand. So it does. Okay. Especially when you've got, you know, like the teakwood and the constant maintenance there to keep it up. That's awesome. Snow skiing is one of those things I've always thought would be cool, but we have like one mountain in this area of Missouri. I wouldn't even consider it a mountain. Um, and I think the ski resort there shut down within the last couple of years, but that's always been kind of one of those bucket list things that I can't water ski to save my life. I'm really good at getting drugged through the water with skis attached to my feet. Um, but I always thought, well, snow, you know, I can't sink too far down in the snow. I thought that'd be something that'd be cool to try. So definitely something that is on the list there. And then it's, lastly, as we are wrapping up, and I, like I said, I could keep going with more. We'll just have to schedule another episode at some point here in the future to get back together and share more of these stories. But anything that we haven't covered yet today that you really want to make sure that we talk about? Uh, I think we've, uh, I think we've covered quite a bit, actually. So we've covered um, a lot of ground. Uh, uh, I'm on board with Robin. I, there's just something fun about turkey hunting with a bow. So you can never get too much of it. Yeah, it's awesome. There's so much opportunity to be able to do that. I still, I mean, I even love turkey hunting with a shotgun. I still do it pretty regularly myself. Really excited to get together uh, closer to the spring, have more of those episodes. I know you all have some stories from turkey hunts that you've gone on together and want to hear about those as well. As we are wrapping up, um, I know Robin mentioned earlier and he had to drop off the call and figure out what was going on with his phone, but Talked about the discount program for veterans, for active duty service members, for police, firefighters, any first responder whatsoever. What would be the best way for somebody who's listening and wants to try out one of our releases to take advantage of that? Should they 
email Robin? Should they be calling the shop? What would you say is the best way to take advantage of that program for our veterans? I think the first thing is email Robin, let let them know who you are. That I think the standard, and I, I haven't been on the, the look at the the discounts uh, recently, so I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. But I think the standard discount that we have for for military is 30. percent um, So that's that's the um, sight unseen. Um, if you're if you're if you got a if you got a military ID or your shipping address is an APO. Our FBO address, um, we take thirty percent off, and, and we can give you a code to do that. Um, we don't publish the code because we certainly don't want people who are not veterans to uh, take advantage of that discount if they're not truly legitimate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, our parks at hotshotmanufacturing.com would be the email address. You can shoot Robin an email; he takes care of all of that stuff for us. Um, I'm just kind of the pretty face who does some hunting and shooting and hosts the podcast. Um, but you can also message us on social media, Facebook or Instagram. Again, look for Hotshot Archery there. If you shoot us a message, it's going to be one of a very small handful, including myself and Robin, who are taking a look at that. So shoot us a message and we can get in touch with you and let you know about that discount program, what you need to do, what the code might be on um, a one-off basis there for you. So don't hesitate to shoot us an email. We appreciate what you all do for us, what you have done for us, what you're willing to do as well. So take advantage of it. And same thing as well with these episodes. So this was another episode that we really wanted to do, but we got some great questions from our listeners. Continue to email those over podcast at hotshotmanufacturing.com. And then keep on, uh, keep an eye out on the website that is the website, not the website, um, but the website hotshotmfg.com. Um, you're thinking, Dave, within a matter of a few days, we're going to have some information up there about that release for people to take a look at. Absolutely. It is done. And we are, um, we, we're, we're, we've already started assembling and manufacturing a process. So we, uh, it will be within a day or two. Awesome. Well, I know I am really looking forward again, Dave. Thank you so much for carving time. I know it's starting to um, get late. You were hanging out um, in Salt Lake City trying to find a spot with good signal there. So want to make sure that you can get home or get to the gym or wherever you are heading. Definitely want to do this again. Are you willing to uh, keep coming back and sharing some of these stories with us? Uh, as long as somebody else shares some stories too, I'd be more than happy to come back. All right. Awesome. Well, so. we're definitely <laughs> looking forward to that. We'll, we'll find some people to share some stories. We'll make sure Robin's got some good stories prepared. Um, I'm sure there's been some crazy stuff that's happened to me that uh, people might want to hear about at some point in time as well. Absolutely. We need to talk to Robin about his, uh, our alligator hunt on that, on one, on a future episode in, uh, in Florida. So uh, that was, ask Robin about alligator. All right. I've got that down. I'll put that in my notes. We're going to make sure that we've got an episode for that one as well. But again, Dave, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Appreciate you being open to letting us run with this podcast idea and just throw out what some of these conversations are. What's it like when Robin and I are chatting with each other on a regular basis or when we sit down together? This is the first time outside of like the ATA show that I've really had a chance to sit down and just throw some questions at you and learn more about it. So I really appreciate that. Like I said, everybody just continue to keep an eye out on the website for the new release. Make sure that you're subscribing to the podcast, wherever you find it, turn on your notifications. Try really hard to release every Tuesday or every other Tuesday, depending on the content. 
Um, this particular episode, though, we wanted to make sure we got it out today on Veterans Day just as a thank you and to talk about how important it is for all of us here at Hotshot Archery to make sure that we stay focused on those who um, choose, whether voluntarily or otherwise, to serve the country. So thank you all so much again, and we'll be back with um, some more great information. I know we've got episodes coming up about fitness for target archery and other things like that. So again, just stay tuned. Give us that five-star rating if you dig it, and we really appreciate y'all continuing to listen. So thank you so much.